Welcome to the Pharmacy Solutions Podcast, the podcast where we discuss customized medications that help change people's lives in significant ways. Today, Holly McKay talks with Tom Siegenthaler about a drug known for treating parasitic worm infections that is being repurposed to helping cancer patients. Hello, my name is Holly McKay, and I am in market development with Pharmacy Solutions. Pharmacy Solutions is a PCAB-accredited compounding pharmacy located in Arlington, Texas. For those of you unfamiliar with compounding pharmacies, it is a place that makes and sells prescription medications, specifically tailored to a patient's needs. Today I'm here with Tom Sigenthaler, pharmacist and owner of Pharmacy Solutions. Tom has been a pharmacist for almost 41 years and has seen many changes over the years in drugs and regulations. Welcome, Tom. Thank you, Holly. Will you share a little bit about yourself and your history with Pharmacy Solutions and how you got to where you are today? Okay. I guess deep-rooted in the start of my business was I had a love of compounding. I attained this love of compounding in college. I assisted the professors in coming up with the formulations. And it's always something that I excelled in and I was interested in. That led me to more of a science background of pharmacy. So I consider myself more a clinical science pharmacist. I do a lot of research into the drugs, into the compatibilities, the stabilities. And from that, a lot of times I get led to new medications and to new ideals from physicians calling us because of our reputation as a clinical pharmacy. They call us and say, hey, have you heard about this drug? Can you do the research? Can you find out about it? And that's that's been a, a very rewarding part of my practice because as part of my research and, and learning about these, these new medications and these new drugs, I'm able to help a lot of patients that wouldn't have access or even have come to know about these types of medications. Today we're going to talk about a family of drugs in the benzimidazole family group. These are a class of drugs that were used to treat parasitic uh, worm infections in humans, uh, roundworm, pinworm. How long has this family of drugs been around, do you know? The, the family of drugs have been around since for over 42 years. And is this class of drugs something that's been FDA approved? Yeah, they, the, the nice thing about drugs when we talk about repurposing, and today's podcast is going to be talk about repurposing a drug. So the drug has been approved by the FDA to treat parasitic worm infections. It has a long track record of safety. No long-term harmful side effects have ever been noted with the medication at all. Um, the drug has been shown to be safe uh, in humans. And so how has this drug come back to your interest and in your level of clinical uh, work within your, with your patients and within the pharmacy? That's, you know, for me, it's a personal story because I had a family member <clears throat> who had cancer who came to me and said, hey, Tom, I, I, I've heard about this type of drug, and I didn't even know they had cancer. And they said, can you tell me about this, these, these drugs? And so I you know, I, I kind of, as a, as a pharmacist, you know, I kind of just rolled my eyes like, oh, yeah, whatever. But I went back, and so they asked me to look. And so I went back, and I went to the science. And I was shocked when I started researching this drug of all of the massive amounts of scientific professional journals, articles that had been written about this drug in the treatment of cancers. And I thought, holy cow, how come, how come I've never, ever heard about this? Where's, where's this drug been? But the research goes back for years and years and years and years, looking at these drugs and the way that they work and the different types of cancers that they've been shown to be effective in. Can you explain to us in layman terms what the science um, shows that this drug does within a body? 
So the, the, the drugs worked uh, in several different mechanisms for as far as today's topic of conversation will be for anti-cancer activity. The primary way that they work is they, it's called uh, microtubules. They cause microtubule disruptions in cells. And so those, these, the microtubules give the cell structure and give it support. Uh, it has a lot of other functions in the, in the cell. But what these drugs do is they, they disrupt these microtubules in cancer cells. And what they found is that they don't affect normal cells. They only affect cancer cells. And that's what, that's what makes this drug you know, so appealing is because of there's no really long-term side effects, nor does it harm normal cells. And we can't really say that about any of the other classical you know, anti-cancer drugs that are out there. Explain to us what would make a drug a good candidate to combat cancer. For a drug like the these class of drugs that are used in parasitic worm infections in humans, a reason that would be a good um, a good candidate for they call it repurposing or reusing a drug for another purpose than what it was initially prescribed for or indicated for, is one that has a well known and, and has been used clinically for a long period of time. It has a low toxicity, has low side effects, has a high level of anti cancer activity. Uh, the cancer activity is within the normal dosage uh, uses for the drug and does not cause adverse effects or with no negative impact to the patient's quality of life. Okay. Is the drug that you're speaking of, the class of drugs you're speaking of, work for cancers all across the board? Because there's many types of cancers. So what specific ones does it work for? That's, you know, that's kind of a growing um, list of, of drugs. The ones that have been shown in science right now are for brain cancers, and I'd like to talk a little bit about more of that in a little bit. Colon and gastric cancers, uh, malignant melanomas, lung cancers, breast cancer, uh, triple negative breast cancer, head and neck squamous cell carcinomas, which have a very, very low success rate in being treated, melanomas, ovarian cancers, and prostate cancer. Okay, and you said you wanted to dive in a little deeper. I would be interested that I think all of our listeners um, probably can relate. We all have been affected by a loved one or a friend or a family member of some sort that may have experienced some type of cancer. So as you listed those off, uh, I could just think, okay, I know someone who had that or does have that. So tell us a little bit about some specifics in that. And you, you mentioned brain cancer. Well, specifically in brain cancers on these uh, glioblastomas, <clears throat> these cancers have a, a five-year survival rate of less than 1%. So these cancers have a very prognosis, and prognosis is a big word for likely outcome. So if a drug has a very, if a cancer has a very low prognosis, and some different types of staging of cancers have very low prognosis, very low uh, survival rates over five years, to me, that the, these these particular patients um, are looking for, and and I think they deserve um, to have an alternative treatment or to try something else, um, especially for the you know again like I mentioned, brain cancer and uh, colon cancers, melanomas, you know some of these ovarian cancers that have been resistant to treatment, uh, some of the prostate cancers that have been resistant to treatment, especially when they metastasized out, triple negative breast cancers. And what they found is that these drugs work by themselves. And what they've also found is that these, these drugs also outperform the cancer drugs that are out there now that we're using to treat these cancers. And this, this is, comes from science. 
and you have all these studies that you've been researching for so long. So patients, you mentioned that um, some patients can be treated with this drug alone, or can this drug be used in addition to the cancer treatments they, that might be more typical, like chemotherapy? Mm-hmm. That's, that's a good question. It's, it's been looked at in science where they've combined <clears throat> uh, one particular uh, example is triple, triple negative breast cancer, where they took um, patients that were being treated with this with a standard drug that's typically used uh, without much success. And what they found is that this, when they added this drug to the standard cancer treatment, it outperformed the, the drug by itself uh, and also had a, a better outcome combining the two together. So they didn't really look at the fact that, you know, had we not used the other drug in this drug, they would have seen a, a better result anyway. For those patients who have had uh, poor outcomes of treatment for their cancer, why would they want to think about this class of drugs? I think as a, as a pharmacist, looking at the science behind this and all the studies that have been done with all the different types of cancers, and primarily these cancers are um, ones that, again, have a very poor outcome, have very, very low survival rates. The the downside of take of trying this medication are, are Basically, there's, there aren't any downsides. The only downside would be it wouldn't work. It won't, it's not going to cause the cancers to be more aggressive. It's not going to cause other cancers. It won't cause your hair to fall out. It won't cause irreversible side effects. Uh, it won't make you sicker than, than you already are. And what we've seen in some of our patients that have had these diseases is that they get better remarkably well despite having tried other types of chemotherapies. So if I, if I had a cancer, that had a very part, very poor prognosis. I would, I would want to be given the opportunity to look at other options, not, not, not promoting anything, but promoting the science behind this. Science clearly shows that this drug has a broad spectrum of anti-cancer activities. One of the reasons it's effective in brain cancers is because the, the drug, you know, if you look at the science, the drug crosses the blood-brain barrier. There are very few drugs that cross the blood-brain barrier that are effective against cancers. This drug crosses the blood-brain barrier, and that's why, you know, it, they've, in some of the, the studies that they've done where they've introduced, you know, we don't want to go introducing cancers into humans, but when they've actually introduced cancers into laboratory animals, 63, they had 63% positive results with glioblastomas. There is nothing out there despite hundreds and hundreds of trials and multiple drugs, there has not been one drug that's made one appreciable, significant improvement or a chance of quality of life or even life. So these, these patients have, and they've been, basically have been given a death sentence. And, and it's not just glioblastomas, there's other cancers like colon cancer. Let's take colon cancer for example. Colon cancer in stage four has less than a 25% two year survival rate. Clearly, uh, there's other things that need to be looked at, and there's a study where they've looked at colon cancer in these patients, and they've seen resolution of colon cancer. How is this drug delivered? It's delivered in a capsule, and there are some some clinical considerations for that. Each dose needs to be done uh, individually for the patient. It's done on the patient's weight. It's critical that that it be done like this. 
the capsule is given by mouth um, twice a day. So we like to give it about every 12 hours. Again, there's some things that we have done uh, based upon science to uh, increase absorption. These drugs have, if you look at the, uh, you look at the pharmacology of these drugs, they have a very poor absorption rate. So there's things that we can do to increase absorption rate. Another thing is because they're metabolized quickly, there's things that we can do um, in our formulation that we've added into this uh, uh, formulation to uh, decrease the uh, how fast it's metabolized so we're getting we're, uh, we're getting better blood levels with that again it's it's based each dose will be based on the patient and we only want to do like a 30-day supply because what we found is some of these patients are really sick guess what they start gaining weight so we want, we want, you know, they've been losing weight and so now they're gaining weight. So we don't want to give them, you know, a three month supply or something because we want to get there. We want to base this upon science and we want to base it upon their weight. And so as their weight increases, guess what? We want to increase the dose a little bit. So we're trying to, not trying, but we're, we're going to give these patients the best opportunity to have the best results from this medication. There are several drugs in this class. One of the one particular drug that we're working with has been shown to be superior than all of the other drugs. It has outperformed them. Uh, it has been shown to be more effective in, uh, in, in laboratory animals and in culture cells to be the most effective of all of the drugs in this class. So that's the one when I started looking at the research, that's the, the drug that I honed in on. And it's kind of ironic because science follows it most of the studies have been done on this particular drug in this class of a family of drugs. And you're saying there's really not a lot of negatives with this particular drug, like it's not going to make them more nauseous. It's just another protocol that's going to help their symptoms and improve their cancer. Yeah, as, as, as with any drug, there are, there are some side effects. The main side effect with this drug is, has been noticed has been abdominal pain. Uh, sometimes they have hives and rashes and something that's called urticaria where the skin swells. But those are just superficial uh, side effects, and those, those go away once the drug has been discontinued. So those have been very, very rare, less than 5% of the patients. There's been one note of a change in a patient's liver function, and that completely resolved once they uh, stopped the medication. But when I looked at this, the, this particular case in this patient, the patient was on multiple medications, and some of these medications were staged fairly high in causing liver uh, problems. So we don't want to rule that out. We, we always want to have a baseline. We would like to have, we do a complete workup of our patients. We're not just going to, um, we're going to work with the physicians and share with them some of our experiences. We want to we want a complete workup on the patients. We want to have all a list of all of their medications, past past treatments for cancer therapies. We would like to look uh, take a snapshot. We want to look at their liver functioning and kidney functioning just to make sure everything being equal, nothing changes as we go down the road with this. So there's there's a lot of things that we do behind the scene as part of what we do and deliver. We just don't fill the capsule and, and, and send the medication out. We want to work with the prescriber. We want to work with the patient. We want to follow that patient. We want them reporting to us. 
Uh, we want to be looking at their lab values and we want to make sure that we have the best possible shot of having a good outcome in this patient with no, with no downsides. This is so incredibly exciting and it does offer so much hope for people who may feel like there is no hope anymore. Um, it's intriguing for sure. When you're talking about the protocol and they take it twice a day, that could change based on their weight. Is this a medication that you see patients would um, continue from, you know, the time they start it and to, uh, you know, infinity until it is no more? Or would there come a time where they would no longer need it because maybe clinically their cancer is no longer detected? That is the million-dollar question. <clears throat> we don't have the answer to that. We don't have a definitive answer on that. In the trials and studies that they've done, they've continued the medication. A lot of times with the patients that come into this, Holly, they'll have like stage four cancer. Stage four cancer is, you know, each cancer has a different staging. The stage four cancers, cancers that have spread to other places. So, you know, we talk about patients, let's take prostate cancer for a minute. I'm not going to talk specifically about it, but prostate cancer. They develop cancer in their bones, but it's not bone cancer. It's prostate, prostate cells that have uh, gone and metastasized or gone outside of where the cancer originally started, and that's more of stage four cancers. These cancers have spread to other parts of the body, and they presented themselves there. So in stage four cancers, you know, we don't know to the answer to that, but this drug has been has been uh, shown to be used for different other types of conditions that they were patients were on it for years with no downside effects. So I think that would be a, a decision before with the physician and the patient on how they responded. Um, I've got one particular patient you asked me about earlier. That we'll, when we get back to it, we'll talk about a little bit about him um, that was diagnosed with a, a very, a very bleak and a very uh, poor prognosis. I'd love for our listeners to hear about uh, that story. So, could you share a little bit about just maybe basic information, male or female age, type of cancer diagnosis, and kind of where you picked up with this patient and treating? Okay. Um, the, 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 it's a male patient. Uh, age was about 70 years old. He had been diagnosed with stage four lung and stage four colon cancer. Um, he was actually, um, I, got, I got led to this patient from a friend of mine. <clears throat> it happened to be a, a relative of his. And so I started talking to them about this medication, about maybe trying it. And the reason I did was because I had a little history of, of knowledge of this patient. This patient had been treated with very, very high-dose chemotherapy uh, for his stage 4 lung and his stage 4 colon cancer and basically did not show any improvement in any of the markers anywhere. Uh, the only thing it did is it made him really, really sick. What were some of his symptoms at the time? Was he, you know, debilitated at that point in time where he couldn't get up and function, or was he still functioning and just not doing too well through the day? At the, at the point I stepped in, again, <clears throat> he had started the standard two-drug care, uh, therapy for, for treating colon and lung cancer, and again, a very high dose. Um, he was given probably less than two or three months to live uh, when he came. He has was wanting to become part of this uh, new uh, treatment using uh, biological agents, and he was evaluated for that. He was found that he was not a candidate for the treatment for these new biological agents, and so that was going to put him back doing chemotherapy again, which he didn't want to do. Um, at the time uh, before we started the treatment, he had been losing weight. 
He did not have any energy at all. Of course, you know, they lose their appetite. They start losing weight. They become very sick and sicker. He had no appetite. He was consistently losing weight. Every week his weight was going down. He was only able to have about 20 to 30 minutes of physical activity a day. He was only able to get out of bed for about 20 or 30 minutes a day. And his, his, um, you know, he, as you can imagine in that state, he was in a, a, a very, very bad, bad spot. Can you tell us what was the time frame? You said he's 70 years old and he had gone through the chemotherapy treatment before he started this um, drug. But what was that time frame? Had he been in treatment for a year, two years? I don't know. Okay. <clears throat> at, at, the, at the point I got involved, he was it, it was going to, again, was looking at having a biological agent done, found out he was not a candidate for that, put him back into the same two drugs that he had been on before. He was reluctant to try those. They talked him in, into doing that. And at the same time, I had already talked to, to them about this, uh, this drug. So they decided to go ahead and start the drug at the same time they started chemotherapy. Again, the patient had had the chemotherapy before and saw no results. Tell us a little bit about that and his plan of treatment. How did, how did that go and when did he start seeing some improvements? Well, I, I, I kind of just backed off a little bit when I gave them the medication. I knew that they had started um, this drug and I knew that they were doing chemotherapy. And the family member called me and said, hey, you, you, would, you won't believe what's going on in, in him. He's, uh, he's gaining weight. Uh, he's feeling better. He's able to get out of bed now. He's moving around. He's, he's uh, becoming more active. And this, this was relatively early on. This was in about the first three to four weeks that he started this. And so since that time, he has uh, consistently gained weight. He's up all day long. He doesn't have to go uh, lay in bed all day. He is actually going to the gym. He works out for one and a half to two hours a day. His weight has steadily increased. He's gained, um, as to date, uh, probably 14 pounds uh, since he started this treatment. He has more energy. He's gaining muscle back. He was losing all of his muscle. It's, it's been a, a remarkable transformation um, in this particular patient. That is such an incredible story. So it's been three and a half, four weeks from the time he started to he started seeing some improvement with weight gain and energy. What time has elapsed now and how is the patient doing today? He has been on the medication for about three and a half months now. And so I get periodic updates when they go in for their chemotherapy. And the first time that I got a call was, hey, you know, because he had, he had, um, stage four lung cancer, he had stage four colon cancer, and he had a spot on his uh, liver. He had a, a solid tumor on his liver. And they, um, I can't remember the exact time frame because it's, it's been a, a three and a half month story. But they called me back and the first time those tumor markers had gone down, the two tumor markers that they were looking at in his blood had gone down. The last report, one had gone down 60% and the other had gone down 50%. So the tumor markers that they're following in this patient have gone down as well. With this patient today, he's four months down the road. He's feeling good. He's gaining weight. What's his protocol now, and what what's he doing today? As of today, he is he has been um, living at the relative's house for a while, and he's going to go home. He's he's uh, he's going home. He's um, <laughs> wants to stop the chemotherapy. Uh, the plan as of right now, they're going to reevaluate again uh, down the road. 
But the plan right now, he's going to continue taking this medication twice a day. Uh, they're going to continue following him. Uh, again, this patient had you know a lot of a lot of uh, strikes against him. So the the plan right now is going to continue the medication. He's going to be continued to be seen and followed by his physician, and then the determination of of which direction to go will be made later on. Kind of based, probably you know based on a lot of criteria, uh, MRIs and and follow ups. Hearing you describe this testimony of a patient that you have seen uh, basically gain their life back is incredibly rewarding. And knowing what I know about you and your love for science and digging in, that is the best positive outcome that can happen. A couple other questions. What, when patients are uh, considering maybe introducing this drug to their protocol of treatment, is it something they could do prior to starting traditional chemotherapy treatment? Or would they need to have already exhausted some treatment plans before starting this as well? I think that that question is probably going to be more individualized on the uh, where the patient is, <clears throat> where they've been staged, the type of cancer that they have. Uh, and then, we'd all, of course, we'd always work with the patient's physician uh, in those decisions. You know, unfortunately, even science tells us that a lot of drugs are brought to market today um, for treating different types of cancers with no known benefit, no no positive outcomes, and they're still approved and used in patients. And this comes from science. This isn't this isn't me. This is from the scientific literature that's looking at the drugs that have been brought out. So I think that pay, that question would be individualized on one, you know, what what type of cancer do I have? What's what's the what's the prognosis of my cancer? What what is my long-term survival rate? What is the uh, standard therapies and treatments that are used? Are they effective? <clears throat> Do they work? How sick am I going to be when I'm taking these medications? You know, a lot of these, some of these cancer drugs cause other cancers. I mean, it's, I'm not being negative about what's out there. It's just as we as we know, and as science tells us, and the statistics of following cancers, some of these cancers don't have don't have good success rates. They have very very low survival rates at two years, at five years. So if I if I were a patient and I were looking at this, I, I would want to probably uh, talk to my doctor about trying this. That's where we can step in. We can provide the patient's information, or I can talk to the physicians. The you know the 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 main hurdle in this, the the main downside of this, is that there is no downside. There is no downside of trying this medication. If the standard treatment is not going to give you any increased survival rate in two years or five years. You know, my, my, my opinion uh, as someone that, that uh, my primary goal is take care of patients, I would be to try it. Uh, from what I know right now today uh, for some of these cancers, um, you know, this, some of the articles are, have been titled, some of the scientific article, articles have been titled, New Hope for Cancer Patients, the questions asked. So, yeah, I think it is. I think it is a new hope for cancer patients. I think it is something that might be warranted to be tried. Can you use it with the th chemotherapy that you're using now? Yes, uh, they, they certainly can. We need to probably look at that and individualize that. Uh, but the physicians are going to the physicians um, are going to help make the are, are going to make those decisions. But we can certainly help provide information to the patients. I think that's one of the things I'm most excited about this podcast is it's getting information out and it's getting it to people who might need to hear it. Those that are going through cancer, the loved ones that are researching for them, providers, um, and the patients themselves. So that's all very, very exciting. 
I, I truly think that I was I was led to this uh, for a reason. <clears throat> I was led to this because there there are you know hundreds of thousands of patients in the United States that basically are are, are facing a, you know a, a really tough road with with no known long term cure. Mm-hmm. Is this a drug that could be used at all preventatively? The answer to that would be I don't I don't think so. No, this is not something that we would want to take on a preventative basis. And I think you know it, it needs to really be reserved for those cancers that have um, don't have a treatment. If there's a treatment out there now that's working, of course we want to stay with those treatments. Those are proven. You know this this has been shown in science and shown in the laboratories to be effective against a broad spectrum of cancers. Um, and but I, again, I think for those untreatable cancers. Is, is where I would probably have the most passionate about uh, talking to patients. Okay, and in addition to the preventative question, the next question a lot of people might ask is, is this a costly drug and is it anything that insurance would cover? It, the drug is, is fairly expensive, but it's not, uh, compared to standard uh, treatments, it's nowhere near what some of the new drugs are coming out are, are cost. Uh, but no, it would not be covered on insurance. Is there any other information we haven't talked about today um, regarding this drug that you would like to share with our listeners? Well, there, there is one point, Holly, and I'm going to um, equate it to a personal story of a patient that came to me. As you know, there's a lot of information on the Internet, and the information that out there is out there you know, is, is valuable. Um, but unfortunately, this patient had gone out, <clears throat> had read something about a drug in this class, had gone out and purchased a drug, which actually was available as a veterinary uh, uh, drug to treat worms in dogs, and he was taking that medication. And so I counseled the, the patient. I said, you know, the, the thing is that in the, in the scientific studies on humans, they, they tested several of these drugs in this class, and what you did is fine. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. But unfortunately, the drug that you're on was probably the least effective of all the drugs that they tested. So why would we want to? Why would we want to waste our money and our effort and our hopes? His hopes are this drug. This drug is going to treat his cancer, which is an aggressive type of cancer. If he if it wasn't going to work, so you know that that that's a, that's a great question. And, and and again, we want we want to we want to go to science when we treat patients. We want to look at science. What is going to give? If you had a, an uncurable cancer. Why would you want to take a chance? Why would you want to waste your time and effort in three or four months to find out what you did wasn't even effective? So that's that's where, as, as a pharmacy, we can come in and say, hey, you know, we, we've got the information, and, and this is a drug that I think you want to use. This is how you want to take it. It's based on science. This is the dose you want to take. It's based on science. These are the things that we can do to increase absorption of the drug because we know the drug has absorption issues. So that's where, as a pharmacy, we can come in. You know, the, 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 the Internet's a, 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 good, a good thing and a bad thing. Unfortunately, if it led someone down that path and they tried this um, and they had a, a bad outcome, I, I think I would, I would, I would feel you know, horrible about that. Mm-hmm. Understood. So the lesson there is for um, patients that are researching to make sure they know where they're getting their information, make sure it's science-based. They have questions, they need to call us and call Pharmacy Solutions and ask to speak to a pharmacist. That sounds like a great idea. (laughs) Sounds good. If you would like to learn more about benzamedazole, call Pharmacy Solutions at 817-274-0050. 
That number again is 817-274-0050. You can visit our website at rxcompound.com. If you have an interest in other medications or compounding medications, tune in to our podcasts. Thanks for listening.